Hello and welcome to Writing Peril, the personal and political. I'm your host, Anne Lee, playwright and researcher born in Tawau, Malaysia, and our podcast today is focused on two novels by leading writers in the region, now published in English by Penguin Southeast Asia. First, Leila Tudori's award-winning The Sea Speaks His Name, translated by John H. McGlynn from the Indonesian title Laut Bercerita in 2017, and secondly, River Run 2015 by pioneering writer and educator Danton Remoto from the Philippines. Now, both novels feature characters who face the peril of sweeping state violence during the years of former presidents Suharto and Marcos. Though their authors choose different routes to make fresh the horror of atrocity and the resilience of resistance. Join me to find out what drives these authors and in what ways they speak the unspeakable. Okay, welcome, Leila. Welcome, Danton. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Hopefully this is nice and clear coming through. Okay, now uh, bear with me, uh, Leila and Danton. I'm going to give a little bit about your, your bios and then give a synopsis of your novels. Um, so let me start with Leila. Okay, so Leila Estudori is uh, author and journalist. She worked at Tempo News Magazine from 1989 to 2017. That's, that's like 28 years, no less. And Leila, Leila is the author of several anthologies of short stories, two novels, TV and film scripts. Her novel Pulang, or Home, was also translated into English by John H. McGlynn, and it won the Katulistua Literary Award in 2013 and was included as one of the 75 notable translations of 2015 by World Literature Today. Poulang has been translated into uh, French, German, Dutch, and Italian. Now, The Sea Speaks His Name, or Laud Bacirita, was the Indonesian winner also of the Southeast of the Indonesian, yes, sorry, was the Indonesian winner of the Southeast Asia Write Award in June this year. Now, that's the literary prize, of course, that um, re recognizes the creativity of writers from ASEAN countries and, and seeks to create a wider awareness of the literary wealth in the region. Now, let me pass on to uh, Danton. Um, Danton Rumoto is professor, or recently was professor of creative writing and head of school English at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia, educated at Ateneo de Manila University, the University of the Philippines, University of Stirling, UK, and Rutgers University, USA. He's received fellowships and honors from the Asian Scholarship Foundation, British Council, Fulbright Foundation, and the Don Carlos Palanca Awards for Literature, among others. Now, Danton has published a book of short fiction, three books of poems, and five books of nonfiction, all written originally in English. His body of work is cited in the Routledge uh, Concise History of Southeast Asian Writing in English, the Encyclopedia of Postcolonial Literature, and the Oxford Research Encyclopedia of Literature. Okay, now to get to the books, um, I, I'd rather like Danton's, uh, the, the survey, sorry, the synopsis of, of Danton's uh, River Run from uh, Asian Block Books blog. And it talks about how River Run, a novel, deals with Danilo Cruz, a young gay man growing up in a colorful and chaotic military dictatorship in the Philippines. The form of the novel is that of a memoir told through flash fiction, vignettes, recipes, feature articles, poems, and vivid songs. 
The setting ranges from provincial barrio to cosmopolitan London. The grimness and violence are leavened by sly wit and wicked humor. And onto the synopsis of The Sea Speaks His Name. This tragic yet inspiring story of a group of friends, all young and ideal idealistic political activists, faced the iron fist of power in the waning days of the Suharto regime in the late 1990s. In the twilight days of March, Biru Lau was ambushed by four unknown men. Together with his friends, Daniel, Sunu, and Alex, he was taken to an unknown location. For months, they were held captive, interrogated, beaten, and tortured into answering one sole question, who stood behind the rebellious student movements at that time? Biru Laut's younger sister, Asmara Jati, along with other family members of the kidnapped student activists, struggled to put the piece of the puzzle together. Thank you for that, Leila and Danton. Um, Thank you. Um, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to, to read the books and to become more familiar with your work. I, I noticed that you know, with the arrival of, of Penguin Southeast Asia uh, in Southeast Asia, this suggests, you know, uh, uh, um, there's been a, a new shift in a way, or a new development at least, in that sort of perennial question around, you know, what is the Southeast Asian canon? Or, or you know, material accepted as, as generally agreed to be good, important, and worth studying. Now, of course, this is bound to be controversial, but and and you know, there have been uh, earlier efforts to do this. I mean, if we, we talk about the 10 countries of ASEAN, I mean, I have like, you know, at least three tombs of sort of ASEAN books uh, of, 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 of poetry, folklore, uh, and short stories. Take one from each, you know, country or several from each country. So this is a, a kind of quite a long-standing effort if we think about ASEAN kind of, you know, from the years it, 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 it was founded in 1967 to try and unite the region with more understanding about one another. So even though the politics may have been, you know, famously or infamously, uh, infamously uh, non-intervention, at least the literature or the cultural track was continuing. Um, now, deciding a canon is obviously a, a, a controversial uh, uh, step, but where do you think, what are your comments about where do we begin? And if possible, where, where do you fit in? Maybe I start with Leila first. <laughs> I was expecting you're going to ask Nanson first. <laughs> <laughs> because I really don't know how to answer that question. But let me just uh, respond to what you mentioned about uh, Penguin Southeast Asia being here. I think I want to respond to that, the fact that uh, now we do have Penguin Southeast Asia in our region. I think that's... Um, a very great thing for us, for authors, and also for readers, obviously, because now our readings is not only dominated by what we consider as uh, Western readings only. We would know uh, other authors from the region. Like it's more difficult for me to to uh, get books from Malaysian authors or Singaporean authors or uh, um, Thai authors, for example, or Filipino authors. It's easier for me to get a, a bit, uh, work from British authors, even the contemporary one. It's easy for me to, to, to buy Zadie Smith's work compared to if I have to find Danton's work. But now with uh, Penguin Southeast Asia, I think uh, it makes 
easier for Indonesia now to get to know uh, the work from you know for from our fellow authors from this region. I think that we we have to uh, congratulate that. Uh, and you know we would know about Haruki Murakami uh, uh, and like Japan is so quite far away, but I wouldn't know. Uh, Filipino authors work. I, I met a lot of Filipino authors when uh, we were in Australia, you know, one festival, but I haven't read any of their work except, uh, you know, the um, uh, uh, Jose, Sionel Jose. I mean, you know, I'm sure people know there's a lot of author, Filipino authors after Sionel Jose, but in Indonesia, we only know him, you know? Right. So right. it's really great. And let, let me stop you there, Leila. Thank you so much for that. Um, Danton, would you respond in addition to what Leila has said? Yeah, it's the same situation in the Philippines. I, um, you know, fortunately or maybe unfortunately, my training is in American literature and British literature. Mm -hmm. And I only began studying, it's so ironic, I only began studying Asian literature when I came back to the Philippines because there was a scholarship going to Malaysia. So I began reading Pomeja Anantatower and the Malaysian writers, Wong Quinam. And I was amazed that because there's no alienation, I could understand clearly what they're talking about, especially um, when it deals with, because I think there are similarities with the countries in terms of political, especially Philippines, Malaysia. I call them the, the triangle, the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, the histories of our countries. Like, like this novel, as I, as I told you in the pre uh, pre uh, podcast meeting, this this novel of mine lost in the Philippine contest, so it failed to make it to the canon of the best novels in the Philippines. And then when it was being published, the publisher asked me to rewrite <laughs> because ah, they said okay. it has no ending. They said because I was trying because the Philippine novel is heavily realistic, beginning, middle, and end. But I wanted a novel where the ending is open, where the reader can interpret the ending using his or her upbringing or whatever. So this novel lost in the contest and wasn't published in the Philippines for 25 years. Nobody wanted to publish it because they said it's, it doesn't have a beginning, a middle ending. It's not a typical Philippine novel. So that's why when I sent it to Penguin and, and Nora answered me after one day, I was like shocked <laughs> because what does right. this woman want? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Danton, uh, isn't it true that your your book was in 2015 is published by the yeah by Anvil, but it had difficulty because they wanted me to transform this into a into a young adult novel. So I took out all the sex. So I took out. <laughs> All the growing up and the, the the longing and the lust and the sex, but then the Anvil on second thought said it doesn't work as a young adult novel. So they published it uh, with one thousand copies. But as I said during the pre-podcast meeting, after one year it wasn't sold anymore in the store. So it it was in the warehouse for many years. So you know, very very ironically, very in a funny way. When Penguin published it, the novel became my novel became more popular in the Philippines because a foreign press published it. It took a foreign press to mm-hmm. tell people that maybe Danton is not a bad writer after all. <laughs> right. Because when, when I was 
It was a local press. Mm. It sold a lot, but only for a year then it wasn't sold anymore. But now, because of Penguin, it's being sold all over the world. So I get emails from different countries and different people about the novel. And I'm surprised. So, so I think that's good for the region. And then the other answer is uh, Penguin. People are asking me in the Philippines, uh, what, is, what is the requirement for getting published by Penguin? I said, you just submit, I think, a complete manuscript to Nora and a, and a summary and a pitch. But as important, you have to tell them how so the book is sold. Nora is the publisher. Nora is the... Nora is the in the penguin is the it's this is the executive publisher the one we talk to mm-hmm. in penguin okay. so I said it has to be marketable also from a pen from penguin's point of view so I really don't know how to answer the canon because it's difficult because if you notice Anne's introduction to me I'm 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 more I think I think like I'm more canonized in the West because you saw Anne. I don't know what happened, but I'm in the Oxford Encyclopedia, I'm in the American Penguin, uh, I'm in American Princeton and British Oxford. In the Philippines, I'm not really, like, canonized. <laughs> but yeah, that has it. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, well let, let me then kind of, I suppose, zoom in a little bit on your, your, your specific uh, uh, countries and the traditions within uh, both your countries. Uh, Leila, you know, you mentioned Jose Rizal and Pramudia Anantatur, uh, um, 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 Danton, you mentioned. I mean, these are the kind of giants, I think, that, if, you know, I think if anyone yeah. can press, you know, press a button, boop, those, those names will, will come out. Um, and there is this kind of idea that, you know, Southeast Asia is this sort of area, if, you know, if we look at the sort of titles that, that kind of come, get across, get, wide, get a wider readership, there are many books about incarceration, war, drugs, um, sightseeing. I mean, the kind of, the images of what we, uh, of what we have for ourselves, if you will, if I, if, if I can say us uh, uh, within Southeast Asia and the image without, I think there is, um, there is a kind of, uh, uh, um, a, quite a fixed notion around incarceration yeah. being a very dominant theme. Um, mm. Within that theme, I, I, I find uh, uh, um, uh, for Leila, I mean, um, the the number of memoirs and and books around the Suharto years, I think, is 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 is, is luminous. Uh, you know, like last year, I think I read Lakshmi Pamunjak's Amba, and mm. in English, the question of red, uh, and also all you know, uh, dedicated to those incarcerated in Buru. Um, I wonder, you know, apart from that tradition. There's also the sort of Sastra Wangi, right? The young urban Indonesian women writers who who kind of took on uh, 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 politics, religion, and sexuality. I think probably best uh, summarized or, or, or reflected by Ayu Utami's first novel, Saman. Um, within those kind of within that sort of spectrum of incarceration on one and 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 Sastra Wangi on the other, where do you see your writing uh, fit in, and and does it matter to you at all? Okay. Um, well, uh, first of all, I don't think that I, I, I'm going to use the term Sastrawangi because this uh, this term I think was created by some people who were a little bit making fun of uh, the female writers who came out 
who, who were wrote in the year 2000 onwards mm-hmm. and they, their writings were incredible uh, mm-hmm. of course started from Ayutami in 1998 but then afterwards there's Bill Stari there's a lot of other authors and mm-hmm. um, the people who started this terminology uh, I think uh, they, they, they said that these uh, authors were usually urban women and they you know so the way they categorize uh, this it's more the authors, not really the work, because if you if you really look at the work, it's very it's it's quite variety of of you know different kind of approach mm-hmm. of uh, you know body and politics, so and religion. So uh, I think uh, I was just saying this on the other day in another in a different uh, discussion. I said that mm-hmm. unfortunately in Indonesia, I don't know in other countries in Asia, but in Indonesia, whenever they talk about uh, the work of the female authors, they would really, they, they couldn't really separate the work from the authors. They would talk also about the female authors. Whereas uh, with, uh, you know, men authors, they only talk about the work. The work. Right. Uh, I, I'll give you one example before uh-huh. we answer your question. For example, when Ayutami or Dilestari or, I don't know, Jenar, uh, write about sex, uh, sex scenes, and then people just, you know, they 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 they, they just burst out like, you know, you are a woman. Why are you writing like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas there's a lot of other men who who write sexual scenes, uh, even more graphic, and nobody nobody you know uh, protests about that. They they don't criticize, and you know, it's okay because they're men. So. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, use that word. You know the the sastrawangi because here is actually derogatory. They they actually say it really with derogatory uh, attitude. You know, mm-hmm. so I would just say that author. You know, and um, I've been writing long time before that. I've been writing since I was a kid, and then my first adult short story. I uh, was published in 1989, and then, like I, I mentioned to you, after that I didn't write because I joined Temple. So mm-hmm. when all this brouhaha came about the Sastra Wangi thing, and I, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, of course, I, 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 uh, I, they're my friends, they're my 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 fellow authors. So I didn't really like the fact that so called my friend uh, Sastra Wangi. So um, right. uh, many times when they asked me, and I said. Oh, please don't mention that. And right. I actually I was asked to um, uh, what do you call um, evaluate not evaluate discuss uh, Ayutami's work. Someone in 1998 May 13, just right mm-hmm. you know before the riot, uh, there was mm-hmm. a launching of someone. So I was one of the speakers, and I uh, I think that someone was was uh, uh, incredible. Uh, so uh, I think that people should read this, you know, as a work, not as you know, sastra. Sensationalized yeah. kind of exactly because people just look at it because it's the work from a woman and and you know not not as as the work itself. Mm. And uh, yeah, so so that's what's happening when you uh, ask us about uh, canon. That's that's one of the things that has been happening in Indonesia. 
literary scene, you know, people are um, bickering uh, against each other about who should be in, or is that Sastra, is that Sastra? <laughs> you know, right. uh, okay. that's okay. the reason why I, I kind of, let's just talk about the work instead of uh, the people. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I think the work, I mean, Eka Kurniawan, obviously, you know, he's, he's sort of, his writing has uh, taken off in, in a very uh, major way. Um, but it's striking, uh, and maybe we can talk about this later, uh, the way, you know, he also writes about sex. I mean, in, in the context of, of you know, talking or, or speaking about the unspeakable, uh, uh, there are, I, I think, I would definitely agree with you, uh, uh, Leila, around the expectations of what we think is okay for uh, writers who are women to write uh, vis-a-vis write, uh, writers who, who, who are men. But from, from here, um, let me ask you, uh, Danton, um, yeah. it seems to me that in the Philippines, there's a kind of, there's a genre of memoirs also under, during the Marcos years or, or, or under uh, uh, martial law. Now, y- your novel is, is in the kind of uh, memoir format, as far as uh, some have, have stated. Uh, and the set of you know the so-called traditional canon, I think of 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 of, of books under martial law, uh, typically include images of the Philippines Revolution or political activism in the Philippines, you know people who are politically involved and imprisoned. Um, and I at least one uh, critic says you know that the discourse of feminism and gayness only flourished post martial law, when multiple yeah. when multiple discourses came in. Now, um, I wonder what your thoughts are, because as I understand, uh, you and Jay Neil Garcia uh, are the editors of Lad Lad, an, 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 uh, an anthology of Philippine gay writing. And um, I understand that uh, you are considered uh, pioneering um, uh, and important for the Philippines LGBTQ community. Uh, and and uh, Dr. Joanna Cruz of uh, University of Philippines has, has, has especially said that your writing went hand in hand with political advocacy for gay rights, um, so so when you when you were talking earlier about how you know your novel has not <laughs> so to say within this this canon, uh, do, you, do you do you think it's 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 around because it's gay themed or LGBTQ themed that you know it just doesn't make the cut of of the genre of memoirs under martial law? Yeah, because uh, I think uh, two years ago there was a list of they called it major martial law novels, like 10 novels about martial law. And I, I didn't see my novel. And when, when I saw the list, I said, oh, should I write them? Because I, I, I wrote them not because I wanted to be the list. I just told them that in an indirect way, my novel also dealt with martial law. But from the point of view uh, of a person who was born inside the military camp, whose father was a military officer. So because in the Philippines, a Marcelo novel is usually uh, written from the point of view of the ones who were imprisoned and tortured and jailed. So my novel is from the other side, the other point of view. But I did not uh, obviously glorify the Marcelo regime because I, I can't even mention the name of the dictator in my novel. Because um, well, his family is still there, you know, in power, and might become the president one day. So I wrote a very indirect and subtle commentary against the dictatorship. As you can see, there are chapters of violence 
but it's very muted. It's it's like mm-hmm. there's there's violence from nature. There's violence when when the when the building collapsed and the workers were buried underneath. And the first lady said, "Oh, we just continue with the building because we have to launch an event." Yeah. And they buried like fifty poor construction workers. They're cutting off their hands, sticking out of the cement. So these are comments in a very roundabout way because my training. You know, because my training in the Philippines, we could not, during martial law, especially the context was my father was a military officer. Mm-hmm. We were told to keep quiet. <laughs> we were told to, that she's always told to us. So when I was writing my novel, you know, I wrote the first draft. I had in a foreign country in Scotland, in a castle, uh, I had a grant. I had to leave the Philippines to be able to write a first draft because there was this major whisperless behind my back telling me not to write about it it's wrong why are you writing against the government whose fa- where your father worked for and etc but but my father did not enrich himself during that regime so my novel i think is uh, different because it's from uh, a point of view of someone inside the military bases because we couldn't even leave not the base during martial law we had when we leave we had to have military guards with us with guns and bullets because they said the communists would kill us no? so that was a situation right in my in time so i think i wrote an indirect mm-hmm. novel against the totalitarianism and dictatorship but i i, I show the effects on ordinary people because the effects of any dictatorship are really found on the common people. The effect is suffering and we were always told to be silent. Mm-hmm. Because if you make noise, as in Leila's work and other Filipino writers' works also, you will end up in jail. We have, we have our own versions of Buru, but they're more like isolated camps, mm-hmm. not as organized. The mm-hmm. Filipinos are not very good with oppression. <laughs> Not very organized, no. But there are pockets of, of of places where they tortured people and killed them, no. But they're in different places during martial law. Not in ver, not in an island, and not very organized. No? Right, right. I, I, I certainly I am. I was struck by you know in in the in the book, um, you know you have these vignettes and these these um short fiction episodes and and. I think in 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 one of them, for example, C forty seven. I I was struck by so so it's 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 really about how a C forty seven plane crashes in the area yeah. where 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 um the protagonist is living, and you know he talks about Louis Louis the 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 um the love that he has uh and observes details like you know the countless strands of frangipani flowers that smothered the chapel. And he has tonsillitis, you know, it is, and it's, it's, it, I, I find the way the small personal details uh, contrast against the terrifying hints of the outside world is, is one of the ways I think you, you know, the, the writing very much conveys, as you say, in an indirect way, uh, uh, what, what is actually happening, the, the, the terror of what is also happening at the time. Um, now I I am conscious that we are sort of about halfway through our uh, uh, podcast together, and I wonder if you could both um, give us uh, a reading of of from, from your books, um, so that we can. Yeah, There's a nice kind of segue to go into more detail about the books themselves, rather than necessarily the 
the the the context. Um, Leila, maybe would you like to read first? Uh, okay, um, I'm going to read uh, the last chapter, a part of the last chapter. Uh, mm -hmm. As you already mentioned, that this novel is about a story of uh, activists who were kidnapped, and some of them were released, and uh, a lot of them never came back. And it's also about the story of the um, the family who are still looking for them. Um, so this is a part of the epilogue, and I'm going to start from the middle of it. <clears throat> and it's supposed to be uh, an imaginative letter from the protagonist. His name is uh, Biru Laut. Mm -hmm. uh, Laut in Indonesian means uh, the sea. Okay. Before the sea, beneath the sun. My friends here are schools of fish, both large and small, and a mantra ray with large wings that is a constant companion for me. I now believe what Alex said, that the smaller fish will rise to the surface of the sea when they hear the golden voice of a fisherman coaxing the storm to desist. As Alex is both my friend and your lover, I trust the words he speaks in his rhythm voice and all honesty. And so I entrust my message to these fish, both the large and the small ones, the yellow and the blue, as well as to Mantra Ray, that one day will fly up and hop on the surface of the sea to convey this story of mine to you. My message is a lengthy one, a long series of chapters, because the death that I suffer and which Gala and other friends experienced as well, was no easy end to life. All that happened after my abduction, I convey through the wings of the manta ray that will come to you, a code that you will understand because the two of us have been trading traces of our being ever since childhood. Asmara, my dear sister, I love you, and I know despite your bouts of anger with me for often neglecting you, that you love me as well. I know that. It's only you I can ask for help to persuade Father, Mother, and Anjani to listen to my message and to heed what I have to say. Okay, I think that's it. Oh, thank you, thank you, Leila. Uh, I'm reminded of you know one reviewer who called it uh, who called your book you know a heartbreaking gripping page turner uh, i think the sort of the 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 epic scale of 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 you know how we have tried to describe what these uh, activists are facing and trying to articulate and then contrasted with the sort of very personal stories about what happens to them um and and you you, you know you chose the structure to be sort of loud biru's um you know after, well after the prologue Laut Biru is part one, and then Asmara Jati is part two. Part two, yes. Yeah. How how did you get to that sort of you know how how do you when you're writing the canvas where which is writ large, but also the the smaller detail has to come through. How how do how do you get how did you get to writing this 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 novel? Okay, um, I'll just make it short. Uh, that uh, I I was <clears throat> I was inspired because I know one of the uh, survivors, 
uh, Nezar Patria. Uh, he used to be now he's you know he he used to be um the chief editor of the Jakarta Post. But before that, he he works in in Tempo. He mm-hmm. was my colleague. Mm-hmm. Um, who was one of the survivors who was kidnapped in ninety eight and uh, were doing a special edition on Suharto because Suharto was quite sick that time and we, we were going to make a long special edition on, you know, on his legacy, you know, the bad ones and the good ones, if there is a good one. So, um, and I, I suggested to, to my friends, to my colleagues, that why don't we ask all the victims and survivors of the violation of human rights during your order to write uh, from the first point of view, you know, not only uh, the 65 uh, survivors, but also the 98 survivors, and you know, there's about seven violation of human rights. So uh, Neza wrote it, and uh, it was really beautiful. It was heartbreaking. It was two pages of story uh, wh- when he was kidnapped and what happened to him until he was released. And so it was then I thought I have to write about this. Uh, that was. Uh, the year 2008, I think, uh, the, the magazine came out, uh, when Suharto passed away. And I told him that I really have to write about this. And he said, you have to, because we don't know whether um, this case will be solved at all, you know. So right, right. I started doing the interview, not only to Nezar, but to other uh, survivors. And then... Uh, the research became wider because uh, Nezar told me, you know, Leila, you should uh, interview the families too because they are also victims. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only the, the the activists who were kidnapped, but also the families because they have been looking for answers and they never know what happened to their children who didn't come back. So that's how I s- sort of um, uh, built the stories on first, it was the point of view of Biru Laut, you know, uh-huh. who was kidnapped mm-hmm. and who was executed, and uh, that's actually not a spoiler because it's already in the <laughs> in the synopsis at the back of the book. <laughs> and the second, the the second um, uh, part was the from the point of view of the sister. Now, mm-hmm. I want to tell you a little bit at the very beginning in my outline. Uh, I actually planned to write from the point of view of the mother. But okay. you know, because I I I interview a lot of the parents, you know, and yeah. I myself, I'm a mother. Uh, I just couldn't I couldn't go th- through it, you know, because uh, I could see how parents, when their child either you know died or got sick or whatever, it's very difficult to function, you know, because mm. our mm. mind. It's supposed to be the parents who died first, not the children. Mm. You know what I mean? Their children are missing, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe they're dead, but they couldn't, they couldn't uh, have a closure because they didn't see the body, you know? So it was so difficult for me to write from the mother's point of view because I myself, I'm a mother and I just couldn't. So Mm -hmm. I thought, no, I'm not going to write from the mother's point of view. I, I, I change it to the sister because I, I also talk with the siblings, either brothers or sisters. Mm-hmm. They were also devastated, but they have to function. They have to become the pillar of the family, you know? So that's why I, I created 
uh, you know, this, this um, character, uh, Ahmad Ajati. That's a total fiction uh, because I, you know, I interviewed brothers and, and I see, okay, they, they can be rational and they're the one who help the, uh, the parents to be strong, you know. So that, that's how I started to make an outline from Birulau's point of view and then from Asmara's point of view. And all these stories about how the parents are still, you know, waiting for them and really still cooking for the kids and still cooking the favorite food and still cleaning the, the, the room and everything. Yes. It, that that's a true story. Like that's really what's happening, you know. When when I came to see them, and then they said, "Oh, this is the." They really let the room exact exactly like the way when uh, their sons left the room. So it was really really a difficult uh, research for me. Yes, yes, I see. Um, thank you for that, Lena. Um, I yeah, we we can um go go to River Run now. Danton, uh, yeah. would you like to, to, to tell us about what, what you will read? Yeah, I'll read a very short chapter from where the title of the novel came from. This is the last scene uh, where the main character saw his friend whom he was in love with, but of course, they're, they're 12 years old. He could not say it, but because in the Philippines, he is a Catholic conservative country, you will go to hell if you fall in love with another man or or a woman with another woman. So it's all like in a mode of fantasy. So River Run. I woke up on the edges of sleep, my slippery dream of Louise. I held my dream close to my chest so it would burn still. In my dream, Louise and I seemed to be pierced with light. He was all there, blinding me with his smile. The eyes that were wicked and innocent at the same time. The moustache beginning to grow above his moist and reddish lips. In my dream, Louise was about to say something, some words I would hold on to in the summer of my departure. I would soon leave the province and follow my parents who now live in Manila. Ah, mad maternal Manila. In the fever of a summer afternoon, I wanted to store some images and words that would have the weight the depth of the first rains of May. The first rains of May falling in exuberance over the land, a crystalline cascade waking up everything, grass, leaf, sky, even the very air from the languorous sleep of summer. A cloud broke open and the rain fell. I savored the sound of the rain falling. Ludi's ears were glued to the transistor radio listening to Brother Eddie giving bits of advice to the lovelorn. I dashed out of the house in my white cotton shirt and shorts, and my mother's red roses were crumbling against the white, grainy wall of our house. The sound of the rain would never leave me, haunting me like a memory I could never bury. It was like a whisper in the ear, a hum growing louder, a roar. In the street corner, under the dripping leaves of the acacias, I stopped. Luis was running in the rain, naked from the waist up. His nipples were like small brown berries. His shorts barely concealed his thighs now growing to a fullness. He waved when he saw me, motioning me to come to him. 
I did and I took in everything my eyes could hold, a young and beautiful boy glistening in the rain. Together we ran in the rain in the summer of our 12th year, the year I would leave the city. Everything seemed to be melting but not me. Warmth ran through me, through my limbs, flowing like blood in my veins. We ran and ran until we reached the river fringed with weeping willows. So I'll stop here so they will buy and see what happened. <laughs> oh, that dog. <laughs> and the dog in the neighborhood. So intense. The, dog, the dogs are beginning to bark, so even the dogs are anti-gay, you know? <laughs> Oh, I'm, 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 um, I recall a remark by Nick Joaquin who writes that, that your novel points, uh, he, he states, to a new direction of Southeast Asian writing in English. Quote, it is intimately personal yet utterly political. Um, I think that's, that's a, 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 quite a beautiful summary, really, of, of, of the impact of, of, of that kind of writing, which I think it, uh, um, Stephen Spender has also said that it's your fiction is marked by elegant and intense language. Um, you you also like Leila's book. The the book is structured in, uh, with, with in two parts: memories, clear white light. Uh, I think it's part one. Yes, and yeah. the country of dreams. And I noticed um, that River Run is is really the first story of part two. Um, and uh, I wonder how, again, like as, as I asked Leila, if you could tell us a little bit about how you, you know, how you came to write the novel. In in, in what way um, did you begin, or how and how did you sustain kind of getting to a sense of an ending? Even a, as as you mentioned earlier, people have sort of criticized <laughs> open ended. Uh, yeah, before I, you know, I've been writing a lot of stories earlier, and then when I got this writing grant in a castle in Scotland for one month. I mean, it was like a gift. You have one month to write. And I said, now what will I write? Because I'm here. So I got, I have copies of all my stories. So I, I look at the pattern. So there's a pattern of a novel here. So what I did was I wrote chapters in between to link up the chapters. But I was aware because I was reading, uh, actually when I was, so after the university, my teacher asked me to read 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I was so shocked because, oh, you can write like this? <laughs> because in the Philippines, we were told by our teachers, you know, you can only write about you know, the city, fiction about the city, about the particular people. But Gabriel Garcia Marquez talked about the poor, the flood, the rain, prophecy, supernatural. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, this is my childhood, all these, you know, stories about witches and supernatural stories. And Gabriel Mar- Garcia Marquez's novel, there's a silence around the novel, which I said happened also to me in my childhood. So I I followed that pattern uh, of writing about the silence that surrounds a city, the, a city and a country that is always flooded and people are always fantasizing, listening to popular culture. And Filipinos, of course, dancing and singing because that's all they could do during a regime. So I just put together all these things and I added there's a list of people who were judges in a beauty contest. But these are the powerful people. No? So what I did was I had the list, I had dreams, I had fantasies, I had recipes 
that com made the comment the recipes are like violent food <laughs> made comments about the violence in the novel so it's yeah, not, I think it's bopis, not, bopis yeah. mentioned right Danton can you tell us what is bopis oh bopis is like the heart and the lungs of pig in the Philippines men use men uh, and men uh, women we cook it it's like food no but it's also what you eat when you drink beer so what we did here is the Filipino character is so poor as a student in the UK. So he 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 would get the the pig's lungs and heart from the Scottish butcher who thought that the Filipino was cooking it for the dog. <laughs> because for a Western man, only dogs eat pigs' lungs and heart. But in the Philippines, we eat everything. So <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, um, I I I I'm kind of thinking around how the use of you know getting back to the kind of theme of of our podcast, which is you know writing peril, the personal and, and political. I'd like to ask both of you now, really around kind of writing about difficult subjects, because I think there are you know all kinds of taboos and all kinds of uh, expectations and stereotypes. I mean, Leila, you talked about you know how how when when uh, 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 you know, a, 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 a section about sex. You know that becomes it's, it becomes more about the female writer than it is about the 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 the, the quality of the writing. Um, uh, the idea of 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 um, you know writing peril. There are areas where that have to be negotiated, negotiated, right? In terms of what you can say. I mean, Danton, obviously, you have. Uh, uh, articulated that about in terms of writing about gay themes and and so forth. Uh, I I think for for Leila, if you could say a bit more because in terms of the language that you use, there's there well both of you have uh, you know uh, within the translations there there are choices around keeping Javanese phrasing and words or Tagalog phrasing and words. Um, there's also code switching um, when you are writing. Difficult subjects, and, and those could be, you know, well, they're clearly, they're torture, abduction, forced disappearances. Um, the techniques that you use and the strategies that you use, clearly there is humor in, in, in what you, in, in what you uh, uh, it, within the books. Um, there is sex, there is, there is, there are many other kinds of, there are topics which many would say, oh, you know, you can't write about this. Um, do you find that you know when you have these little voices uh, uh, talking to you, uh, or do you? How do you cope in terms of writing, nevertheless? And in your own personal instances, I mean, Danton, you talked about how you cannot talk about a particular family because they are in power and they may come back into power presently. How how does this uh, uh, make things? more difficult for you to write? Or rather, how do you negotiate and, and solve the problem for yourself? Leila? Yes, hi. Um, well, I think if you are asking the difficult part and how far we as author have to negotiate, quote-unquote, uh, with ourselves, I mm-hmm. think it was more difficult when I wrote Pulang, Home, rather mm-hmm. than this, because... Uh, Pulang um, has a background of 1965, and that tragedy, um, you know, involves a lot of uh, people who, like, 
so many people died, you know, from 65 to 66, you know. I think the numbers, is, it goes from 500,000 to yeah. like 500,000 million or something, right? Yeah. yeah. Killed uh, 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 as, as communists or suspected communists. Suspected supposedly. or families of communists or friends or sympathizer mm-hmm. or, you know. So, and it was uh, a lot more civilians killing civilians, you know. So, it was a very difficult, and uh, a lot of things are very still um, uh, is not written formally in his, history books. Uh, we have to find uh, what's written by Western academics, you know, mm-hmm. and from uh, interviews with uh, the survivors. So it was more difficult to write that uh, compared to this one. This one was more difficult emotionally. But mm-hmm. not in the way that you ask me, like, do I have to negotiate or do I have to, you know, uh, is mm-hmm. this difficult? I, I didn't really have to, what we call self-censorship when I wrote uh, The Sea. When I wrote mm-hmm. home. But when mm-hmm. I was writing home, I really put importance more on the family life. You know, what happened with the family and what happened with the, you know, the people who, who didn't really know anything and they were still... Um, uh, hunted down, you know. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't really have to negotiate because I, I purposely chose to to write about the families, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, I, I, I exactly chose to write about the activists, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I interviewed them, and uh, you know, now it's ref- well, it's already. 2017 when I wrote this 2016 so I didn't feel that something will happen to me if I write this you know Mm -hmm. but um, when we talk about the sex scenes and everything the sex scenes was very very minimal like it was it was really like one paragraph you know (laughs) there's there's one scene between Biru Laut and Anjani right it was really short and it was really (laughs) uh, but the thing is Indonesians now are so much more conservative compared to you know 20 years ago you know 20 years ago a lot of authors would write you know even more graphic than what I wrote now so Mm -hmm. Nowadays, when someone writes something like that, and then everybody just scream like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, Indonesians are well, not only Indonesia, actually, the whole world is becoming more conservative. So, um, whenever people, uh, you know, give that kind of reaction, I just yeah, okay, you know, you 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 have a choice not to read if you if you feel uncomfortable. But seriously, I I felt that my sex scene was really really. Minimal. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not someone who would write about like 18 pages of sex scenes. So I didn't feel that I had to negotiate with myself about that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think, to be honest, I think in general in Indonesia, it's going to be more difficult if you write about faith. Because mm-hmm. Indonesians mm-hmm. are very, very uh, sensitive about it, you know. Uh, very sensitive about faith, sensitive about religion. So, uh, if I don't think that I'm going to write about it, uh, it happens that my my uh, I I'm I'm more interested in writing stories on families, and I'm writing I I prefer with political or historical background. And mm-hmm. when I wrote this, I asked uh, my um, my sources that you know did 
religion play in in you know whenever and they said no the, we're not really religious people so i said okay you know so mm-hmm. and i don't know about danton because i know the <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but but i didn't i didn't have to deal with that because um my story of people who are really quite um how should i say um they're not really religious, you know, so I didn't really have to write about You don't that. touch on that, right. Well, no. let, let me pick that point up because I think it's a good one. I mean, in terms of Danton, you you, you know, it's, it problems with faith is clearly not exclusive to, to, to Indonesians, right? Yes. Yeah, because especially, like, you know what happened when the Pope a few days ago said that uh, LGBT couples can be protected if they have civil union, which is marriage done by a judge. The whole Philippines went in turmoil because this is the Catholic Pope telling them that they're wrong, that LGBTs have a right. And then I wrote about it and I got like more than a thousand hate mail telling me. And this is 2020, no, October 2020. When I began writing 30 years ago, I also got hate mail, but but now I have more hate mail. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think Lila is right that the world has become more conservative even in the Philippines where uh, the Catholic Filipinos are now angry at the Pope. (laughs) And he's our head of our faith for telling them that they're wrong, that LGBTs can have families. So I exercise, you know, it's so hard uh, to write about these topics because like for the sex scenes, for for the final draft of this, I had to cut down a few. Like Leila, I don't write a lot of sex scenes. I I I don't write a lot, but I cut down three or four lines because... I always believe that uh, we should not shock the reader. <laughs> Maybe just surprise him or her, but not shock them. So I took out like three lines of the sex scenes. And then in all, maybe I took out like three and a half lines. So that's all the all the lines I took out. Not because I was censoring, but I think they were also a bit too much. Because you can, in the context of the novel, they're, they're calling attention to themselves. Because I think the sex scenes should be part of the novel and they should not stick out of the novel, calling attention to themselves. But I agree with Leila that writing about faith now is more dangerous than writing about all these dictatorships because even the dictators are now showing in public that they're Catholics by donating to the church, going to church, or being photographed praying on their knees in front of the altar of Jesus Christ. So writing about faith now, I think, is the more dangerous thing mm-hmm. in the 21st century for Catholics. And to hear Leila say that, I said, oh my God, also in Indonesia, I don't know about Malaysia now, but Indonesia and the Philippines, we share, again, we share a common theme. <laughs> yes, no, I think that one is interesting, isn't it? But I, I noticed that in your work, both of you, I mean, you also use humor and i think like for for i mean it it is always risky of course but uh satire for instance uh is 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 a way in which we can um uh you know mock authority uh and that of course can get you in trouble but it it seems like it's one of the sort of strategies in which if you talk about an indirect or direct way there is there is room there in uh 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 to make comments, even if they are asides or something like that. I'm struck, for example, uh, 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 um, uh, Danton, you know, in, in, in your story about um, Yes, Miss Universe, uh, or Yes, Miss Universe, <laughs> you talk about Richard Head, the American ambassador called Dickie, 
by two. Yeah. There's a real ambassador. There's a real ambassador named Richard Head, and the communists in the Philippines called him Big Head. <laughs> right, right. So I, I think I spoke about that. It's so, so you've written Richard Head, the American ambassador called Dick, by two camps: the grim <laughs> and determined Marxists, and the applicants denied visas. Um, it, it's, it's quite clear that you know your your the, the targets of your of, of the humor are, are, are quite pointed there. Yeah, you know, you know what the problem in the Philippines now, Leila. That's why when I hear you, I feel, I fear, I fear for my country because as we speak now, they're red tagging people now. Like somebody asked me, "Are you with the Reds?" I said, "What? Why are you asking me?" I mean, my father was a military officer. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> no, when I grew up in the military camps, but are you with the Reds? I said, "No, I'm just a writer. I don't have any political. I didn't sign up for any political movement." Except the gay movement. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to say that that you know it also in 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 both your novels you you make references to um, all kinds of cultural uh, the, the reach is 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 broad um, and I well for example uh, uh, um, Leila you 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 mentioned Orhan Pamuk Mario Vargas Llosa right. Luis. Alcott, you know, Joan Bays, Beatles. Um, when you were writing, do you have an idea of who you're writing for or it's for yourself? Uh, no, no, that's that always, I like that question because I people always ask me that when, you, when I write, did I think about my readers? And I said, no, because once if I, if I start thinking that, oh, I want to write for the millennials or I want to mm-hmm. write or international readers, you know, indirectly, I will customize my story and my choices towards whatever I'm I, I'm aiming. And I don't mm-hmm. want that. I don't want to customize and I don't want to, um, I feel contrived if I, if I start thinking about, you know, my, the segment of my audience. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I, I know this sounds cliche, but I really have to follow and I have to be loyal to the characters. So mm-hmm. my character is an activist and he comes from a intellectual family. The father is a journalist. You know, the mother mm-hmm. is, a, she has a catering business. So, you know, obviously they like to read and they like to listen to uh, music and classics or whatever and Beatles and, so and I also did my research. I asked the activists what did they listen and what they, what did they eat and you know I always asked everything and I combined with my personal thing obviously because for example the the Birulaut you know Nezar I asked you know when he was hunted down for two years uh, you know those activists were using different names they had mm-hmm. to use different names and they they changed places they changed cities because they were hunted down. And mm-hmm. I asked them how how did they live? Like they have to eat, they have to, you know. And they mm-hmm. said, oh well, I I uh, he said that they um, translated books, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's how they got money. They translated books. And I asked, what what kind of books did you translate? And right. he said, well, basically the ones that it, that uh, that it's very that sell well. Uh, that's like seven ways of being rich or you know things uh, uh typical books like oh, that right, and okay. i said 
well, that sounds that sounds very boring, you know. So I I kind of combine in in my universe, I combine it with books by Vargas Llosa, and you know. Instead of twenty ways to win friends and influence people, yeah, okay. that's I mentioned that too. Actually, the Dale Carnegie one, but I also mentioned that because I know that uh, Mezar likes to read uh, Vargas Llosa, and you know, and a lot of uh, South American authors. So mm-hmm. I, I combine that. The thing okay. is, you know, one one thing I want to mention, and I'm sure this is also happening in the Philippines. In the '80s, South American uh, authors are a big thing here in Indonesia. In Asia, yeah. yeah. So a lot of uh, the movements in the the student movements, they are so inspired by, uh, well, you know, Danton mentioned about Gabo, and uh, they they re- they read a lot of uh, South American uh, authors' work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I I'm just I'm conscious a bit about time, Danton. I just wanted one last word around you. Were talking about how River Run, James Joyce has some. Uh, I, uh, you know, you know, because when 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 people ask me how did you write it, and now after, I it only came to me in the last few months when we were doing publicity that it was really uh, inspired by portrait of the artist as a young man because in that novel there's an older narrator going back to the past mm-hmm. and making comments about the past, and it's not it's not really serious because sometimes it's in a mocking tone or funny tone. So I think that is the framework I used for this novel. And there's a scene there where I follow the way he described winter in Ireland in, in the story, The Dead. So so it's heavily influenced by my colonial education. <laughs> Sorry to say. No, no, politically incorrect. That dog. <laughs> I'm going to have to uh, end there, uh, uh, Leila and, and Danton. Um, and uh, listeners, readers, writers, uh, thank you for, for staying with us on, and on behalf of Georgetown uh, Literary Festival. And most of all, to uh, my guests, Leila Chudori and Danton Remoto. My name is Anne Lee. Thank you for being with us on this session of Writing Peril, the Personal and Political. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Denton. Thank you, Leila and Anne. Bye-bye. Take care.